Good to see everybody here this morning. Wanna wanna kind of jump on the curtail there of what uh, Waylon was saying about the knowing the word, and uh, I want to add I want to add a little piece to it. I just want to throw something at you here. Make sure you you get this this morning. Um, you can read that like Waylon said. You can read it cover to cover, but the key element is the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. You're reading just words without the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what brings the conviction with the Word. And that's one of the most integral parts of reading the Word is that you pray before you read the Word and you ask to be asked to be revelated to, convicted, and for God's Word to speak to you directly. It's only done by the Holy Spirit. Only done by the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you this because we are, we are in a time now where people are unpacking the Holy Spirit from the Word and then they're just reading words. That's it. They're just reading words. They don't want the Holy Spirit involved. They don't want inspiration. They want uh, opinions and ideas. And God's word is about being inspired and then committing ourselves to it. Amen? Once you commit yourself to something, church, uh, it's not up for debate. <laughs> Page one in your, uh, your brand new books. Everybody got their books? Yeah. Excellent. We're ready to roll. Title of today's lesson is The God-Blessed Life. Central truth is that God blesses those who hear, believe, and obey. There's three things there. Hear, believe, and obey. So you hear the word, right? You've come to hear the word this morning. We've made the decision, or you will make the decision at some point, or at least I hope that you do, to believe what you've heard, right? Because you got to, once again, here they're just words. You're going to have to do something with them. And so you got to believe what you hear. And then obey what you hear and believe. That's probably the biggest thing of all, is actually doing doing it and, and actually living it out in your life. Um, I say the whole, I, I'm talking about the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to connect it to, to this central truth in hear, believe, and obey. Uh, this, this is something that God has really been dealing with me about on a personal level lately and has revealed some places in my own life, my own life where I have heard it and believed it, but I haven't actually carried it out. I'm just being honest. I don't mind telling you because I think you're human just like I am, and I figure, I'm figuring you struggle with the same stuff that I struggle with, and we all have opportunity. All of us have the opportunity to hear and believe and obey. And so the Lord pointed that out. He's like, there's some areas here that you haven't been obeying yet. But of course, you know, as the conviction comes, the first thing that I do is resist. No, no, no. I'm good. I'll be doing everything I'm supposed to be doing. You'd be surprised what the Holy Ghost will tell you about your own life if you listen. You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised what Dorsey opens up. It's not about what I call finding fault. It's not about finding fault. That's not it. But with that said... I kind of hope the Holy Ghost finds some fault in me because I need to get it out. You with me? So, well, you're just fault-finding, Tanner. No, I'm not fault-finding. I'm just saying. If the Holy Ghost points it out and he says that's fault, hey, it's fault. And so if, that's gonna, if, if there's something in my life that I believe is contradictory to what I have said or what the Word says, if it's contradictory and I'm living it out and I haven't noticed it, God, please show me. I want to see the wrong. Because we need to purge this thing, repent of it, and get back on the right track. You with me? Amen. It's very important. Amen. 
So it says under Liskey started, uh, the teachings of Jesus were revolutionary in his day and are still revolutionary today. To live as Jesus taught us to live is ca uh, countercultural in our world. To love our enemies is the opposite of what our human nature wa wants to do. What your human nature want to do? Revenge. I heard revenge. What else? Hate. Hate? Retaliate. Anything else? Greedy. Greedy? Love them. <laughs> I, we keep going because it's not hard to, to put words with what the flesh doesn't like doing because we're all associated with it. We know what it feels like. Those emotions and those feelings, are, we're very familiar with those. And so the lesson is talking about this countercultural teaching of, of, of God's word. This is why you have to ask for the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Because sometimes, and I'm going to put this, I'm going to, I'm going to draw a picture here for you. Um, you know, you have these interpersonal relations with people every day. We're talking and dealing and, and words are spoken and we're conversing back and forth. Um, sometimes we don't consider that we've taken offense to something and then we hold it. And sometimes it takes the Holy Spirit pointing that out. Hey, you're holding that. You need to let that go. That takes the Holy Spirit because your flesh revels in the idea. It revels in the idea of taking revenge or holding something. I'll make somebody pay for that. It loves that. And because you're, you typically aren't going to notice that without the Holy Spirit showing you. And so this is why we need to be completely honest with the Holy Spirit and let him deal with us. Let him point it out to us. Otherwise, we're not going to notice it. So to love our enemies is the opposite of what human nature wants to do. To rejoice in um, persecution seems unthinkable, so we usually go out of our way to avoid it. None of us like to have to go through anything, right? Amen. Sure, nobody wants to have to go through anything. But it also, if you read the life of Christ and kind of what comes with it, then you also know that there are going to be some things that come with it too. I think that you just have to accept that. That's just a part of what you do as a Christian is you're going to go through some stuff you really dislike. You're going to have to deal with some things and issues and contend with things throughout the entirety of your life until the end. That's just the way that it's drawn up. Um, better that we accept it now and then be with Christ going through it than trying to resist it and pretend it's not there. You with me? So, yet Jesus calls us to stand apart from our culture and to demonstrate a different way of living. Many times we describe our blessings in terms of tangible things, such as our family, friends, and material blessings. While all of these are certainly blessings from our Heavenly Father, many of the blessings we receive are intangible. The forgiveness of our sins. Can we agree that that is a blessing? Amen. Receive the blessing of, a, of the forgiveness of our sins. How do you acquire that? Well, first of all, Christ already did the, the work, so the work's finished, right? So the next thing is, is that you just respond to it by actually asking to receive it or repent of something that you have done. Don't take that for granted. Because that's on the table, though. 24-7 is forgiveness of sins. It's on the table 24-7. You get up in the middle of the night and the Spirit deals with you, Father, I repent. You can be forgiven. It isn't like God's open from 9 to 5. Think about that. He's not, he's not just open at certain times. He's open all the time. And so forgiveness is, forgiveness is instituted. You understand that this morning? It's been instituted by the cross. So forgiveness is 
not just some of the time, forgiveness is all the time. And so that's a blessing, massive blessing. The mercy he so freely gives, has he shown you mercy? Amen. And the deep peace that comes from serving Christ. The first portion of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, commonly known as the Beatitudes, describes how we experience God's blessings. Believers who continue to grow more like Jesus gradually develop attitudes and spiritual fruit, Galatians 5, 22 through 23, that allow them to enjoy the blessings God freely gives. So, so we know by the lesson this morning, we know by God's word, that's, that um, fruit or yielding fruit is a very important thing. You need to be yielding fruit. We'll get to more of that later. All right, page two. <clears throat> Read some scriptures this morning. Haley, go ahead. Matthew 5, 1. <clears throat> one day as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and began, and he began to teach them. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. You are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is greater than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Thank you. Page three. Live with God's favor. In the Beatitudes, Jesus identified eight kingdom principles that result in the blessings of God. Many of these principles run counter to the world's philosophy, but God wants his people to be different. So we, we have a counter, we have a um, we have principles of the world, and then we have principles of God's word and principles of God's ways. So you understand there are principles of the world. The world has got its own set of principles, the way that it does things, the way that it looks at things. And then there are God's principles, and so we're covering these godly principles. This is indeed contrary and, and, and different to the way the world looks at things. So in order for us to, to, to get this, we have to accept what God is putting in front of us. These things that you're going that we've already read, we're going to cover these, these things require work. I mean, it takes some work Amen. to put some time into understanding some of these things and what he is asking us to do and how we're supposed to act and the requirements that come with it. This is not an autopilot thing. This is understanding what God stands for and that it is a high standard. I mean, you are 
you are in, in the understanding this morning that we serve a king. Not by earthly standards, but higher than that. So, so if you serve a king, don't you think the king has high standards? Absolutely, he has high standards. So in order to live under high standards, it requires time and effort. It requires work. It requires sacrifice. No one ever said it was going to be easy. And it definitely plays itself out that way in the Word. So, um, number one, God blesses the poor in spirit. Those who are poor and realize their need for him. Poor does not refer to socioeconomic status here, but the realization we are utterly destitute with no righteousness of our own. We are nothing without him. You do not have nothing without him. You don't take your next breath without him. You don't have it. So how does that play itself out in real time? Well... It goes back to something Pastor mentioned not too long ago, and it's gratitude. It's realizing that you don't have a life without him. And so when you, you have this full revelation that this is the truth, then you begin to act accordingly. You act out of gratitude. We become thankful, enormously thankful, because we realize that the place that we're actually living at, we don't deserve to be here. That we have been forgiven of things that we should have been condemned for. In that had it not been for God's going after going after you, one of the 99 that drifted and went astray over and over and over again, that had it not been for him going out of his way and making sure that you were rescued, you wouldn't be here today. Now that, if you just think about that for a little while and meditate, when I say meditate, not just a mental ascent, but you let your heart kind of roam around in that for a little while, you become grateful. You'll become grateful. And so that's being poor in spirit. We're utterly destitute. Number two, God blesses those who mourn. While God can comforts us in our emotional grief, this mourning is grief over sin in our lives and in the fallen world. To mourn sin is a true sign that you're against it. Once again, I'll refer back to something that God has been dealing with, out, uh, d dealing with me personally about. Sin is not comical. No. Yeah. It's not funny. And serious. it's a very serious offense. But our society has transformed it into being hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. That is so funny. Look at the way they acted. Look at the way they did it, and that's funny. And if, you, if you're not careful, and I, and I get it. Yeah, there are times it appeals to the flesh, and it does seem funny. I get it. I'm not denying that. What I'm saying is, is that you have to see it for what it is. Mm -hmm. And we're laughing when we should be mourning. We're rejoicing over something we should not be excited or happy about. It's like the, the sin has no place in society of being funny. Because if it's funny, we accept it. You accept it. Oh, it was funny. If you find, look, if you find something funny, this is what the internet is notorious for. If you find something funny, what do you do? Share it. You share it with the next person. And can you see that if we think sin is funny, then we start to share this counterproductive perspective with everyone around us. And then we draw them into thinking that this is funny. That's funny, right? You see the way they acted? See the way they did that? That was funny. Was it? Or should I have been hurt? Or should I have been like, oh, no, I'm not laughing at that. That's not right. You see what I'm saying? I, I, think, I think you have to check yourself on the way that you even view society 
Because if our society has depraved itself so bad that when we look at stuff and see people in decrepit situations and we laugh about it, then we are in a worse state than we thought. Mm -hmm. If it's come to that, then we laugh about it. If it's comical, then that's where you know we have really been seared and become desensitized to what is going on around us. It's not funny. It's meant to be mourned. It's like, hmm, that hurts my heart. Mm -mm. Look at us. Look at us. Look at what we've become. Look at what we're doing. Mourn. We have to mourn sin. Mourn, mourn what it's done to your, what it did to your life, what it is, how it is currently affecting your life. Mourn the way that it has affected society and mourn the way that people have become so involved in it that they cannot see it. Mourning it. Number three, God blesses the meek. The only individuals in Scripture described as meek are Moses and Jesus himself. Meekness is not weakness, but rather strength under control. Now, this is a good topic. This is a good one. And, I'm, and I told myself when I was covering these, I was like, we're going to have to figure out a way to get out of section one before the end of the service because <laughs> we could spend the whole time talking about these yeah. because they, they yield so much information. All right, so meekness is not weakness. All right, meekness is not weakness. What does that mean? But rather strength under control. Well, then you have to kind of start asking yourself, well, what do we view as strength? What do we view as strong? Well, let's kind of go back here. When you're offended, and I just use this as an example. There's a lot of different ways we could look at this, but let's just look at that. When you're offended, we want to do, we usually want to respond, or the flesh wants to respond in a strong manner. So what usually happens? I'm not going to let them do that to me, and I'm going to show some strength. And so what do we do? We go out and we take our retribution. We take uh, revenge. We take it. You've heard that's the way it's termed, right? You take it. You take your revenge. You're taking it. You're going out on your own, and you're taking it. I'm not talking about letting people run over you. That's not what I'm referring to. I'm not referring to not protecting yourself. I'm referring to what the Bible is talking about here as being meek. Jesus was meek, right? We learn that uh, Jesus had the opportunity to call on legions of angels if he had so chose to rescue him, right? Meekness kept him on the cross. Meekness kept him from annihilating everybody that threw stones at him or wanted to kill him. Do you understand? You understand that they were out for his life. You don't have anybody out for your life. You don't. There's nobody out for your life. Nobody is out trying to kill you right now. They don't have to kill him. Now, think about the mentality and the heart that you've got to have towards people. And then you're and then you're speaking to the people around you. Forgive them, Father, but they know not what they do. Mm -hmm. They're not forgiving, yeah, but it's connected to meekness. Being meek. Got the I've got the power to take my revenge. Mm -hmm. I've got the power to make you look bad. I've got the power to, to grind you up and grind your name up, but I won't. I'm not. <coughs> because that's not what God has asked me to do. And don't pretend it. Don't shift it. Don't pretend like you're making it sound like, you know, yeah, I could do it if I wanted to. That's arrogance. That's arrogance. Meekness is letting it go. Taking a lower position. 
being meek. Can we agree this morning that this is a hard one? Yeah. Meekness is hard. Because it's, it's, it's taking that to you say, oh, I, I, I can do it. I can do it if I want to. But the Lord says, that's strength under control. Strength under control. Christ had the ability to do it. That's strength under control, but he didn't do it. He chose not to. All right, so strength under control. Number four, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice. Matthew 5 and 6. The Greek word for righteousness implies a divine justness that comes from God alone. Recognizing his holiness causes a deep longing in our souls for the kind of righteousness only available through Jesus. There is no other way. It's, a, uh, it's linear. You know what linear is? It's a one-way street. It's going in one direction. Righteousness. He's talking about righteousness. There's only one way to go, and it's only through Christ. That's the only way that you can go. Um, if you don't like that, then you're going to have to become more familiar with his ways. And you've heard me say it before. I've said it in here. It's like, look, it's that way. It's instituted, whether you like it or not. So you say, well, I, I wish it wasn't that way. You know what? But that's the way it is. And so we become more familiar with his ways, which helps us to understand why it is the way that it is. And frankly, church, the way I look at it is God created all this anyway. He gets to make the call. It's his call. So whatever his word says, he's the creator. He's the master. He's the one that put breath inside your body. So he gets to make the call. I don't get to make the rules. He does. I just follow him. Amen? Amen. All right. We follow it. Okay. Um, number five, God blesses those who are merciful. When we recognize the mercy God has uh, lavished on us, we in turn are uh, to grant mercy to those who have wronged us. Jesus explains on this cycle of forgiveness uh, later. And so it's not just, okay, so you know, like we talked about before, you know, we have been given forgiveness, Right? We experience that on a 24-7 basis. You can go to God and receive forgiveness. But what about someone else? And what about your interaction with that individual? And so we've been asked, and here's, this is one of the ones that take work, and this is one of the ones that's hard. It's being merciful the way that God has been merciful to us. Just, you have to meditate on that, church. Really, you do. Meditate on it. Think about it. You're, it's, it's you forgiving people that don't deserve forgiveness. You got to get that. Because if you have to, if you finally get to the point, I've been here before, if you finally get to the point where you can rationalize the forgiveness, then you did it at the wrong time. You're too late. If when you finally get to the point where it makes sense to actually forgive them, you missed it. Because forgiveness doesn't make sense. Because you are deserving of one thing, but you receive another. You were deserving of death. You were deserving of punishment for all the things that you did done, but you were forgiven. God didn't wait to rationalize it. For it to make sense, he just did it. He said, I sent my son, you're forgiven, it's okay. Turn away from that and go the other direction. And so that's the same type of forgiveness and mercy that he wants us to show other people. It's like, but, but he did me wrong. Yeah, I know, but turn. Turn. Turn away from it. Let it go. That's going to take some practice. It takes practice because your flesh is not geared for that. Remember, what's it? What's the flesh geared for? What's it want to do? It's going to take that revenge, right? It wants its part. So we have to understand that that's going to take some work. 
But this is a command of God. Forgiveness. I saw something the other day, and I have been thinking of it ever since I saw it. Like, it really touched me. And it said that we are all living life for the first time. Mm -hmm. Like, this is everybody's first run. And so, like me, I'm a teacher, so I give the kids so many chances. You know, I'm really patient with them, and I'm like, oh, they're kids. So if they do something wrong, you know, I'm a little more hesitant. I'm way more hesitant to forgive them and move on, you know. But, like, with adults, I'm like, how, how do they do that? Like, how can they make that choice? They're a grown adult. Like, I wouldn't do that. But I saw that the other day, and it made me take a step back, and I'm like, the patience I show with the kids, I need to show that same patience for adults, too, because it's their first run around too and something that I might think man I would never do that well they're not me and right. I need to pray that God would touch them in a way that would make them act that the way that I think I would act but I've been thinking of that every single day and I feel like it's really helped me be more forgiving to others because mm -hmm. even at school like people will do stuff and that thought comes in my brain like this is their first time to live life too so extend them that forgiveness like God would extend to you it really right. touched me I think, too, that's, that's good. I, I think, too, to go along with that, um, every one of us have been taught throughout our lives different ways, and there are, there are just certain things that I think we learn later in life than others. You, you, some of you had bad teachers in your lives. You had bad people that were teaching you bad things when you were growing up. You just didn't get it. And then we have to learn those lessons later. One way or another, you got to learn. I mean, there's stuff that I've learned that, that I should have learned when I was a child, but I just I never learned it. And I think, man, I wish I wouldn't have to learn those things. But thank God we can. Yeah. Whether, we, whether we're learning them at 8 years old or whether we're learning them at 48 years old. Who cares? We got to learn it before we ended this life. I don't want to have to face God with that lack. So, absolutely. That's good. Okay. Uh, God blesses those whose hearts are pure. The religious leaders of Jesus' time emphasize outward purity and cleanliness. But Jesus wants our outward behavior to reflect the purity within us. That results from his work in us so the way you talk and act should change can we can we agree on that it should change you're not going to act the same you're not going to talk the same you're going to be different you're subject to that change because there's something going on inside of you and it's biblical church we just talked about the the fruits and i'm sorry if i'm seeming extra emphasis on these this morning because it's really emphasized in my spirit but I want, I'm trying to bring this to you in a way that really impacts you because if you're not yielding fruit, fruit that is the evidence of the change, then you might want to backtrack and figure out where things went wrong. There's supposed to be change. This is one of the new beliefs that you don't have to change. That doesn't make sense because biblically it says that you will change. You're going to continue to change. To be more like Christ. Why? Why are, why are we going through this? Because you're going to spend an eternity with him. Mm -hmm. So you're being conditioned after righteousness, after holiness, after the things of God. That's why we're going through the things that we're going through. It's not for nothing. It's training. Do you understand that eternity is a very long time? <laughs> and so if you feel like God has been really driving some things home in your life lately... It's because the end is near. Now, however you want to interpret that, I'm not going to get into that. But the end is near, and time for change is now. It's now. All right. 
So we should, uh, he blesses those pure in heart. There should be a uh, change in the way we talk. That, number seven, God blesses those who work for peace. As believers, we are called to help others find the peace with God we have found. God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. Second Corinthians 5 and 18, when we fulfill this role, the world will recognize we are God's children. I'm going to make that twofold. I'm going to say yes, absolutely, that we reconcile people to God and we get them to understand that there's peace and they can have the peace of God and they can know where that their future is going to be at when they pass from this earth. But you also need to be peaceful people. Not troublemakers. Not trouble starters. Either, in, either, either from face to face or in your conversions with other people, maybe about other people conversing, gossip, online, social media, be a peacemaker. Don't be somebody who starts trouble. <laughs> it kind of, that's what Haley was saying. It's like some of us act like kids when it comes, it's like we didn't learn it. It's that we didn't learn it when we was kids. Somebody didn't, we didn't get spanked enough. <laughs> we didn't get spanked enough to know it's, a, it's not a good thing to start to be a troublemaker. I mean, my dad was heavy on that. He's like, you better not be the one starting the fights, dude. It better not be you. If they call your name out and I find out you were the one starting the trouble, you are going to have to deal with me. And I was afraid of my dad. Wade was too. <laughs> there, there, there's, there's this thing that I learned when I was a kid that there's just certain lines you don't cross and I carried that over and I, I don't want to be a troublemaker because it's counterproductive and so you, you've, you've got to know if you're starting trouble by opening your mouth and saying things and it's causing issues sometimes we're looking at other people and saying I wish these people would stop this maybe it's you that needs to close your mouth Stop, quit, stop starting trouble. I think these things are so hard because the human flesh is just so selfish. It is. centered That's why yeah, all that's of these are hard. That's good. We're yeah. so selfish at heart. I want what I want when I want it. I want to eat when I want to eat. I want to be comfortable when I want to be comfortable. Don't bother me right now. I don't want to go fix that because I want to do what I want to do. Absolutely. And it's just, it's hard. Mm-hmm. And there's been seasons where I've been great at it. Right now, probably not so great, but I'm working on it. <laughs> we're getting but there. It, it's just this thing so hardwired for itself and comfort for it that it doesn't want to do anything else for anyone else. Absolutely. That's you agree with what Sean's saying. That's good. It's just a selfish thing. Okay, let's keep moving. We're almost done. God blesses number eight. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, living according to God's principles. Put us in direct conflict with those who live according to the standards of the world. When we are persecuted for Jesus' sake, we should rejoice. After being uh, interrogated, flogged, and threatened, Peter and the apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And we've talked about this before, and I'm not going to rehash it or anything, but they obviously had a different mindset and a different spirit about them. They didn't go, listen, they did not leave there and think, man, we ain't never doing that again. That got us beaten. They left excited that they were qualified to actually be persecuted. That is a totally different mindset. We think persecution is when they get your order wrong at Sonic. (laughs) It's like, it's like it it happens and then somebody says something to you and then something else takes place and we think, we think that's persecution. 
We think, man, it's just like you get done and you go home. Look, I'm not making fun of you. I'm not because I do the same stuff. I get so upset over lighthearted things that don't mean nothing to my life. They don't matter. But I get upset. I know you're with me. I know you are. You go home and you start to meditate on it. You think about it. And it's like, is it really that important anyway? No. It doesn't even qualify for persecution. Your burger does not qualify for persecution. <laughs> it's not. He said, well, they don't like me, though, Tanner. Every time I go there, they do it wrong. And I know it's because they're doing it against me personally. Are you serious? <laughs> I mean, we really do lock into some funny stuff. We live in America. We're Americans. We're Westerners. That's the way we think. Everything We take everything personal. We do. So, so these are things, when you read these, these eight, these are some, it's actually kind of, after, after these eight right here that we read, I feel like I've already gotten a workout. Yeah. I'm like, oh, hold on, hold on. I don't want to go to section two because there's so much here. So I want you to cover these scriptures yourself at home and think about what's being said here and let's work on our weaknesses. Let's work on them. Let's cover some of these and, and really begin to put some time into them. Okay, so, so Jesus warned that his followers would be mocked, persecuted, and lied about. Matthew 5 and 11, adding, be happy about it. <laughs> be very glad, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. What's the mentality? What, 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 what's the difference here? You see what he's saying? There's a difference, a, a vast difference in thinking worldly and thinking heavenly. Lay up your treasures in heaven. Lay up your treasures in heaven. This is, a, this is a completely different heart set and mindset that I'm not really worried about this. I'm worried about there. I'm really worried about if I get it down here, I'm worried about making sure I get up there. See, that's a total different mentality. It's like instead of becoming angry or frustrated or, or, or beside ourselves over something, we think about the rewards that await us in heaven. We're happy that things aren't necessarily going the way that we are planning them or the way that we want them because we're being conditioned for something much more valuable. Eternity, I think it, I think I could safely say that eternity is more important to you than anything else. And so then we should also follow the things that are after eternity, not the things of this world. All right, let's talk about salt and light. Jesus declared his followers to be the salt of the earth. Salt was used to flavor and preserve food. It was so important, it was used as currency. Likewise, those who faithfully serve God are valuable to society. Jesus contrasts the worth of salt used correctly with its uh, worthlessness when it is not fulfilling its purpose. So what is salt when it's not salt? No good. Nothing. That's, that's, that should be straightforward. Okay, so let's, let's switch that over. Then what is a Christian that's not being a Christian? See? It's like, oh, okay, that makes sense. What is what is somebody who says they follow God, but they don't actually follow God? Where's the value? You've lost it. It's gone. There's no value there. So you understand these scriptures when we talk about salt and light, how important this actually plays into our lives. And that there are a lot of people, a lot of people, otherwise it wouldn't be in God's word, that have lost the actual use of what they say that they stand for. They say that they're, they're for God, but they actually don't have godliness anymore. There's no more righteousness there. There's no more actually doing what we say we're doing. So if salt, if, if salt's not being salt, it's, it's worthless. He even said it right here. 
We can be valuable or worthless, both to our society and God's kingdom. Jesus then declared his followers to be the light of the world. Not only can light be clearly seen, but it illuminates other things as well. When our good deeds shine out for all to see, those living in darkness notice the contrast between their lives and the lives of those who follow Jesus. And, and knowing that people need to see that, this is not a work for you. It's not a work for your credit. This is a work that you do to glorify the Father. That people can see that you actually do what you say you're going to do and you stand for what you say you stand for. That forms a contrast. Then they start to see you differently than they see other people. Like you act different. You do things different. I seen the other day there was a there was a an old it was an old program. And I remember watching it when I was a kid and it was on YouTube and I was like, hey, that's that program I used to watch when I was a kid. It was still in the old format. And so I clicked on it, it brings it up, and I have been watching high definition so long that I couldn't believe that I actually used to watch shows that look like that. And I was like Man, that really is different from what I am seeing now. But that's the way we all used to watch it, and we just accepted it as being the norm. There's a contrast when you set them side by side, a noticeable difference. And people should see you the same way. There should be a noticeable difference when they look at you and then they look at the world. They see that you don't, you don't participate in those things. You, you make a firm stance. No, I don't do that. I don't talk like that. I don't mess with that. That's not me. Come on. That's a stance, and they start to see the contrast. There has to be a contrast for people to see. Otherwise, they don't know the difference, and they're, they're not going to see Christ. And so that could stir up some trouble in your life. That can make some people frustrated with you, upset with you, sure. But you kind of signed on for that anyway, <laughs> right? We kind of signed up for it, and so we should be okay with that. Okay. Uh, section 2, practice good, uh, pleasing righteousness. Jesus' disdain for the Pharisees' behavior was not dismissal of the law itself. He carefully distinguished between the law and the self-righteous practices of the Pharisees, highly valuing the law. He said, if we ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, we would be the least in the kingdom of heaven. He was not saying that following the law was the means by which we enter the kingdom of heaven, but that it reflects the kind of life we should live when we are part of his kingdom. Remember, it just kind of goes with it. The law goes far beyond our outward behavior. The, and what it's saying, it's, it's saying, yes, it's, it's not the, the whole thing, what you do. It's not the whole thing. You're saved by what God has done for you. You're saved by what he did. You're not saving yourself. But it doesn't make sense to live a life that's not under control and under discipline and under Christ. It's contradictory. It doesn't make sense. And so one does not go without the other, church. One does not go without the other. If we're going to live for Christ, then we're also going to act and behave and do as Christ would do. Jesus' goal was to uh, bring each person to a right relationship with God, something the religious teachers were missing. He accomplished this by becoming the ultimate sacrifice and taking the penalty for our sins. Jesus said, if we have anger in our heart towards someone, we are subject to judgment. Just as if we had committed the act of murder. Man, what? You could have come a little easier than that, couldn't you? Murder? They're just, they just anger me, though. <clears throat> Left unchecked. Left unchecked. Your flesh 
will do whatever it wants to do. And it will take on whatever belief it wants to take on. It'll, it'll do all kinds of perverted and weird things left unchecked. And what the lesson is pointing out here is talking about just this, this example of anger. Um, let's use that this morning. Anger left unchecked is destructive. And maybe you're not someone who goes brawling, so to speak, but you do have anger that has caused destruction in your life because you let words come out that are connected with that anger. And maybe you didn't tear the place apart physically, but you tore some people's hearts up. Anger. It's not godly, and it needs to be brought into check. Even the spirit of anger maybe you say i've got this thing under control and i don't let anybody know but there it is you're angry get to the bottom of it you don't have to live with anger you don't have to leave it there and maybe you have worked yourself into a place of discipline it's like well i could go off tanner but i don't check yourself and if there's if you can confront it and contend with it and get it out before the Lord and say, you know what, Lord, I've got an anger issue. A lot of times, church, it's not the other people. Well, they make me mad. It's not them. It's you. You're tripping over the wrong stuff. We should be tripping over sin and, and what sin is doing, not tripping over things like this. Okay. Anger can lead to bitterness, character assassination, name-calling, hatred, or even murder. Jesus instructed us to mend broken relationships before worshiping God. Why is that important? You can't fully worship if you're holding on to stuff like that. It doesn't make any sense. Why would you do that? Why would you come before the Lord and believe that he's going to accept your worship when you're angry and mad and unforgiving towards someone else? That's totally counterproductive. Then if we've fallen into a place in our lives where we believe that that's uh, something that's okay or permissible, church, we're off. We are way off the mark believing that things like that are okay. So, anger, but sin not. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath, which means what? It means do something about it. Condition that anger. Find the root of it. Get it out in the open. Be done with it. Okay. Um, we can only fulfill the intent of the original commandment by resolving conflicts and making peace with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Assuredly, I'll, I'll say this, assuredly, church, there's going to be conflict. There's going to be conflict between brothers and sisters in Christ. There will be. You might as well just accept that. It's what you do with it when it happens. How do we contend with it? How do we deal with it? Are we going to stay mad the whole time? Are we stay upset? Are we going to let it fester? What are we going to do with it? There's going to have to be something that's going to be done with it. It will demand a response. Jesus turned his attention next to the commandment forbidding adultery. He expanded the concept beyond extramarital sex to include lustful looks and thoughts. Okay, so now we're moving deeper now. He said, going so far as to say people should gouge out their lustful eyes and cut off their sinful hands. Jesus used this dramatic hyperbole, illustrates uh, the seriousness of the issue. And what he was saying was, is whatever you got to do to kill the flesh, kill it. Whatever you've got to do. Do you, do you see the example here? Yes, he didn't mean it literally, but he was emphasizing so deeply whatever you have to do to get your thoughts under control, get them under control. Don't let yourself run wild. 
Don't allow everything that crosses your mind to stay present. You're going to have to do something about it. Now, I don't have time to touch on all of that, but um, it, it falls into my list. And I mentioned this list last week. It falls into my list of things that you're responsible for. You are responsible for your own thoughts. This is why I, I, I say that because I hear people say, God, give me good thoughts. Let me explain to you why that doesn't work that way. Because you are in charge of what's in front of your eyes and what's ever in front of your eyes is going to be what you think. You're in charge of it. You're putting whatever in front of your face. You're putting it in front of your eyes. You are entertaining that. And if it's on your mind, it's on you. That's not on God. So what do you want him to do? You just kind of sprinkle some heaven dust on your mind and say, there you go. There you go. Now, good thoughts. Good thoughts. No, it doesn't work that way. Now, it's great. I've personally been in the presence of the Lord. And when you come out of the presence of the Lord and you've been in the presence of the Lord, your thoughts kind of seem to support that. But the longer you spend outside of the presence of the Lord and the longer you spend in this world, your thoughts are thinking of this world. And so who's to blame for the thoughts? You are. You're, you're your own worst enemy when it comes to the way that you think. And so we've got to get that thing under control. Okay, let's go to section three. Yeah, we got some time. Good. Of all the earthly commandments, I'm sorry, commitments, people make, Marriage is the most binding. Although the concept of divorce had entered the Israelite community because of sin, it was not part of God's plan. God has not changed his view. He wants husbands and wives to keep their promises to each other and to him. Can we all just say amen to that? Amen. Amen. Uh, um, we talked about how important the institution is. First and foremost, it's an institution that God created, so it should be honored. Okay, well, let's start with that. And so, if there's trouble in the marriage... If there's fighting and disagreements, we should want to contend with the problem to resolve it so we can get back to being the unit that honors the Lord. We should not always want to bail when things don't go well or it doesn't go right. We don't have the same love we used to. We don't have the same passion that we used to. I'm not saying people can't fall out of love, but you should contend to get it back because that's God's plan. And if, and if we just give up under any covenant that God has, you know, God, it's, it's been really hard this week. I think I'm going to quit. Well, that opens the door for quitting on everything that God has set. And so we should contend with it. We should fight for it. You should fight for your marriages. You should fight for your relationships with your children. You should contend with the problem and stop pretending that it's not there. Even Christian people have struggles in their marriages. Can I say that? That doesn't mean that you're weak. It doesn't mean that you've, that you've taken a wrong turn. It just means that sometimes life gets us. Sometimes we lose track and we lose focus. But then what's the response? It should be to contend for it, to fight for it, and to get it back, and to get it to where it needs to be. You ask anybody that's been together for a long period of time, they're going to tell you. They're not going to tell you. They will not tell you that everything was great. Okay. <laughs> They lie, ain't they? <laughs> and so we should want to fight for those things and stop pretending that, that it's just perfect and everything's great because sometimes we know that it's not. Okay. Um, Jesus then addressed 
other kinds of vows. While some vows recorded in the Old Testament were made because of obedience and love for God, others were an attempt to bargain with God. The Pharisees distinguished between oaths taken in the name of God, which were fully binding, and those sworn by created things which could be withdrawn. Yet every oath involves God. People sometimes use God's name to add weight to their oaths. But Jesus said our word alone should be sufficient. You know what that is, don't you? Something our world is very lack of right now. What is that? Integrity. Integrity. Doing what you say that you're going to do. Keeping your word. Very void in this day and time. I'm not saying that you I'm not saying that you don't get overwhelmed sometimes and maybe you told somebody you were gonna do something, maybe you forgot. Uh, maybe you got off track. I'm not necessarily referring to that. I'm talking about integrity. I'm talking about when you say that you're going to do it, that you desire deeply to keep your word, and that your word matters, and that you're going to do everything you can to keep your word. It matters. It matters in our, uh, from a society standpoint because we really need people who run businesses and the, kind of the makeup of our society to be made up of people who are people full of integrity, mm-hmm. keep their word. Because if, you gotta, if your society is full of people who don't keep their word, then your society will fall apart very fast. So, integrity. Do we have the proper integrity? According to the Old Testament, if someone hurt another person, the offended party could retaliate likewise. This system may have deterred crime in the newly formed nation of Israel, but the kingdom of heaven is different. Instead of letting offenses control our actions, we should use those offenses to show love to the offender. I wrote a note here, which was don't take it personal, which you probably will. Don't take it personal, but you probably will. If you understand that. If you understand, because you're not, you're not perfect. Someone's going to offend you. Somebody's going to get you. Someone's going to say something, do something, whatever. When that takes place, the lesson is saying, this is our opportunity. This is our opportunity to show love. Because showing love, really, I mean, it's not really showing love, though, church. It's not showing love if, if it's easy. I mean, if somebody's, if, you, if you're around somebody all the time that's qualified for your love, it means they've done everything to meet the criteria to be liked and loved by you. But see, the love that God is asking us to give is the kind of love that gives in spite of. So actually, we don't really see that love being used unless you are offended or frustrated or have the desire to not speak with that person again. Then when you act, it's acting on God's love because now it doesn't make sense to do that. Now if you if Sean if Sean and I are always good and I love Sean and Sean loves me and and we're just we're friends and I've known Sean ever since we were in high school and 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 we just got this connection. Yeah, I love Sean, but there's not really anything going on there that would separate us. Now true love if Sean offends me or if I offend Sean and Sean has to forgive me, then that's real love. That's godly love being exercised right there in front of us. Because anybody, I mean, anybody can give love when it's easy. But it's when you're undeserving, when that person is undeserving, that's when it's God love. Uh, the Lord had me look up offense that one time. When yeah. you look it up in, the, in some of the translations in the Greek, it means a trap or a snare. Mm-hmm. And it's set out there to try to trap us, to get us caught up in a fence. The, the flesh naturally wants to, but oh, 
he cut me off or he did this bad and he didn't do me that he did me wrong because I can't ever forgive him again whatever it is it's a trap that we're in sometimes sometimes we don't fall for the trap but sometimes we do fall in the trap and then we got to find a way to get out so that we don't take offense and harbor that and just keep it on our heart that's good very good it's a trap okay Jesus expanded the concept of love in uh, to include one's enemies this was and is a revolutionary teaching Jesus followers must be willing to forgive those who hate us and see our enemies as God sees them. There's the prayer right there. That's it. God, show me how to love people the way that you love them. Show me how to, to see them the way that you see them. You can't do that on your own. I think a perfect example is uh, Jesus and uh, Judas. You know, he knew the whole time that God was going to do what he did. But yet he didn't treat him any different than the rest of the disciples. He still right. loved Yep. That's right. I mean, he knew it. He knew it. And some of us are not even privy to that information. We wouldn't go through it if we knew it. Right. So he took it willingly. So Jesus challenged his followers to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Perfect means full-grown, mature, and complete. That's the state that you want to find yourself in when you leave this life. When you leave this life, this is the state that you want to find yourself in. Full, mature, and complete. That you've done everything that you can do spiritually to grow, and you are a full-grown individual. And that means that you forgive when forgiveness needs to be given. Do you love unconditionally? And if we're not at that place, then church, we're still growing. We hadn't made it to that mature place yet. Some of us are infants in certain areas. Some of us throw fits in certain areas. Amen. We do. While the sinless perfection, or while sinless perfection is unattainable in this life, our single-minded goal should be to show the same kind of love God shows. Same kind. So we've been talking about that, and I don't, I don't need to rehash that. So I'll ask this question to, for thought-provoking for for, uh, until next week, is what does that love look like? What does that love look like? You, I already know what God did for you, but now what is it going to look like when you exercise it to the people around you? Start asking yourself that. Maybe if there's some areas and some people that you've been dealing with that you've been falling short in, some areas that you need to resolve and contend with, do it. Take care of it. We've been given a lot of stuff in this lesson. I know there's a lot of stuff to digest here. I hope that you go home and look over your lesson book maybe tomorrow morning um, and consider uh, the Beatitudes, consider the things that God has given us, and that these are not simple things that you just brush over. These are commands. God bless you guys. Thank you.